This week on episode 477 of Priority One, we trek out Star Trek Day. More specifically, we dive deep into the Discovery, Picard, Lower Decks, and Strange New Worlds panels and discuss what was discussed during their discussions. In Star Trek Gaming, Scopely indulges in shrooms and Timeline celebrates Star Trek Day with giveaways and takeaways. RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Command codes verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 477 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Your weekly recap and review of all the major news happening in the Star Trek multiverse. This episode was recorded live on Wednesday, September 9th, 2020, and available for download or streaming on Friday, September 11th at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elio. I'm Kat. I'm Tony. And filling in for Skiffy this week is our producer, Jake. Hey, everybody. Welcome aboard, Jake. Hold on tight, because it's going to be a wild one. Whoa. <laughs> Okay! <laughs> Captains, each week between episodes, we love to engage in conversations with you, our listeners, on places like Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So if you aren't already following us on any of those, be sure to look us up. There we post things like community questions, special announcements, and more. Just search for Priority One Podcast on your favorite social media app and you will find us. Or email us. You can reach us at incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Captains, if there was anything to take away from Star Trek Day is a sense of community. Everybody was on Twitter, Facebook, you name it, live tweeting and sharing their experiences and their feelings and their reactions as they happened during the panels. And that sense of community is really what drives us here at Priority One Podcast. We love to engage with you each and every week through places like Twitter, Facebook, our Facebook group, via email, you name it. We have a hailing frequency channel open for you to talk with us and to engage with us. So be sure to follow us on all of those channels and be on the lookout for our community questions. That's right, Captains, and that helps us help you because it keeps the conversation going. You can join a special conversation just for patron members. By contributing as little as $5 a month, you can join our special Discord channel where our usual restrained and, you know, a, a staid and boring conversation that we have during the show, just just all the bets are off. Uh, you'll, you'll see us at our, our raw and unfiltered state, and we we appreciate that kind of communication with you because you really get into our heads and then, and then we can get even farther into yours. But if financial support isn't in the cards, don't forget about sharing our show to all your friends. Hit that like, retweet, and or share button when you come across one of our posts or perhaps you'd like to join the team. We're looking for new volunteers to join the production. Specifically, we're looking for audio and video editors. For more information, visit PriorityOnePodcast.com or email us. The address is incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Now, let's check out the latest news from the Star Trek multiverse. I don't know. Then let's trek it out. Star Trek fans are 
occasionally a bit entitled. And at Priority One, we'd argue rightly so. Star Trek's original series received a third season and a ticket to syndication because of a write-in campaign led by the incomparable superfans B. Joe and John Trimble. Star Trek fans helped start the modern-day mega-convention when, in 1972, over 3,000 Trekkies gathered at the Manhattan Hilton Hotel in New York City to celebrate our beloved franchise. We passed content droughts by writing fanfiction and creating fanzines, the precursors to the modern-day internet fan sites. Our unequaled enthusiasm helped spawn an animated series, a movie series, television spin-offs, more movie series, and even helped launch a network, UPN. And of course, a streaming platform, CBS All Access. Now that's not even mentioning the countless hours of reading, listening, and viewing content the community has generated for absolutely free. We've even celebrated a couple of unofficial holidays. June 16th has long been recognized as Captain Picard Day, thanks to its appearance in the next-gen episode, The Pegasus, and September 8th's air date of Star Trek's first episode, The Man Trap, has been our unofficial Star Trek Day. This year, the newly reunited Viacom CBS seemed to validate and recognize its fans by acknowledging September 8th, the most holy of Star Trek days, an official Star Trek day. The day was spent streaming Star Trek episodes, panels, and discussions to celebrate the franchise. But it wasn't purely a corporate advertisement. It celebrated the heart of the IP by once again instituting the Star Trek United Gives hashtag on its social media platforms. For every person that tweeted the hashtag Star Trek United Gives, Viacom CBS would donate one US dollar to charities that champion equality, social justice, and the pursuit of scientific advancements. This week, we're going to cover the virtual panels of the newest Star Trek series, Discovery, Picard, Lower Decks, and the upcoming Strange New Worlds. But first, we've gotta ask, how did you celebrate the first official Star Trek Day? Let us know in the comment section for this episode at PriorityOnePodcast.com or by replying to our community question post on our social media channels like Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Following a streaming schedule that featured episodes from the entire Star Trek catalog, the team turned its focus to pre-recorded panels and interviews, and the first on the docket was Star Trek Discovery. The panel was introduced by series lead Sonequa Martin-Green, who presented Discovery's official Season 3 trailer before handing the reins over to host Mika Burton. Burton moderated a panel that featured Star Trek boss Alex Kurtzman, Discovery showrunner Michelle Paradise, and series newcomer David Ajala. A central point of the panel, and frankly the whole day, was hope in a time of despair. Alex Kurtzman discussed the state of the Federation, nearly a thousand years in Discovery's future, and how Star Trek's message today jives with Gene Roddenberry's message from 1966. Obviously the Federation is not where it was, and yet our characters enter into this timeline, and the whole season is about trying to bring it back. So you're into a world where it's very reflective of the world that we live in now, and I believe very reflective of Roddenberry's essential vision of optimism, that it is in the darkest times that we have to hold that beacon of light up to guide us back. The team also discussed why the Federation wasn't in the position of power that Discovery had left it in in the 23rd century. In the trailer, a book played by panel attendee and Star Trek newcomer David Ajala notes that Starfleet suffered a decline during a period called The Burn. Kurtzman explained its effect on the current state of the Federation. 
what happened to the Federation didn't happen because the Federation collapsed in on itself because there was disagreement or strife. That's not what happened. Federation was sort of strong as ever. And obviously something cataclysmic went down that, that changed everything. So I want to take a moment here and talk a little bit about this trailer and then what they identify and label the burn. There were two points that were said that caught my attention. One was that the fall of the Federation wasn't a political thing, right? It wasn't like Section 31 tore down the Federation or whatever. It was the result of this burn, a cataclysmic event that just shook the Federation to its core. And then he also suggests that the discovery cannot function. They were very specific in how they described what was wrong with the discovery. Well, it crashed. Well, it wasn't like it, it wasn't like they were saying, "Oh, we're out of dilithium crystals." It was it was very cryptic in how they described the malfunction on the discovery. So my theory is that something happens to the mycelial network, a burn of the mycelial network that then prevents the discovery from working at all. In addition to, of course, the collapse of the Federation and whatnot. Well, I think the trailer solves that mystery for you because it crashes. It goes boom on the planet ground and is broked. So what? We've seen starships crash before and lift up off the planet. And then Goldsman goes on and says, "Well, they got to figure out how, they got to figure out how to repair it." Right. And then and then later on the trailer, you see the discovery flying again. Wait, so are you agreeing with my theory? I can't tell if you're agreeing with the theory or... Well, your theory your theory could be fine. I, I, the, my personal theory is they've left the mycelial network thing far behind. Like, we, we, we shall not speak of this again. This is the warp 5 speed limit thing that we're going to be doing here now. I don't know if the Discovery couldn't have crashed. How would the Calypso play into that? Because that's... Right. Well, wibbly wobbly timey wimey. I mean, that's the, the mean. This is Star Trek after all. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, that's interesting because well, Luke Critter had made a post and I had replied to his post about that very, about this theory, about the mycelial burn. I'm pretty sure that whatever happens, this burn specifically, happens way after Picard and obviously before, before the season three of Discovery. So that there is, in fact, no worry about timey-wimey stuff, paradox bending oh. things. It's a new thing. New thing. Yeah, and it would also have to happen after the Temporal Cold War. Mm, yep. When did that happen? Because Daniel's never... That's the 30th century, so that'd be the 2900s. Oh. Uh, so they said... I mean, they, okay. they, did, they did a good thing here. For the first time, I think, more or less ever, I get the sense that the people running the show have an idea of what they want to do with it and are doing it like so they kicked the discovery and its crew way out like way out and uh, so they can like forget everything like literally yeah because they're like we're tired of the fans complaining about canon yes but also but also the characters in the universe can also forget everything because as far as they're concerned the federation has fallen or whatever records will be lost and destroyed uh, history will be garbly. They'll be like, oh, yes, we remember a Captain Picard, but those are legends and myths of the time gone past. So they are, they have cut themselves off from canon quite literally, and they are boldly going where they can, wherever the heck they want. And I think this is smart. I'm really glad they're doing this. And I hope when the Discovery crashes, they completely break the spore drive. Like, the spore drive will be broken. Like, it will be wrecked and, and never function ever again. Yay. This is these these are all good things. So no more Stamets? No, Stamets is fine. But he's but a he, 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 astromycologist. But he'll he'll have to like 
be a regular scientist now, and he can be. There's room for the there's room for a Commander Data on on the crew. So you know, or Mr. Spock. They need that. Uh, like Michelle Paraday said, she, I think she worded it perfectly. It's fresh snow ahead. I get the idea that she knows what she wants to do with the show and ha- and is doing it right. I have never gotten that idea before. This week also broke that Star Trek was finally introducing both a trans and non-binary character to the main cast of Discovery. Trek's first non-binary character, portrayed by Blue Del Barrio, spoke with Glad.org about the role, saying, quote, When we meet Adira, they're suffering from memory loss. They remember nothing from their past and very little about themselves. They know they're non-binary, of course, but coming on to Discovery, they're cautious about sharing that information with anyone. They're a private person, so they aren't going to divulge a lot about themselves to a ship full of strangers. It's not until Adira has found a place of comfort with Stamets and Kolber that they feel they can talk about who they are, end quote. Regarding the upcoming trans character, Deadline reported, quote, Ian Alexander will play the transgender character Grey, empathetic, warm, and eager to fulfill his lifelong dream of being a Trill host. But he will have to adapt when his life takes an unexpected turn, end quote. Both characters were under tight wraps during the panel, but Michelle Paradise was able to give a small bit of information regarding their roles. We can't tell you a whole lot about them because that would reveal spoilery things, but they do have a very unique and specific relationship. Ray is Trill, so there's a whole Trill mythology in Trek that we're going to be leaning into with this. And Adira has a particular backstory of their own that I can't say too much about, or it would reveal when we meet them and how and all of those things. But what I can say is that both of them are just incredibly exciting actors. It's so much fun to watch them work. The panel is chock full of great information, like why Discovery has a new logo, for instance. So, check out the hope-filled trailer and even hopier panel interview by heading to PriorityOnePodcast.com, where we'll have the links in our show notes. The logo change is absolutely indicative of what I said earlier. They're cutting off everything that's connected to season one and two and starting over brand new fresh. It's only the third season. It's a good time to do it. (laughs) I do hope that that's the case. It is thrilling, absolutely thrilling, that they are introducing into the Star Trek storyline both trans and non-binary characters. I am apprehensive about it, though, because let's not forget how Kolber was fridged. Let's not forget how he was killed for no particular plot reason other than to stab us in the heart. And so I am hoping that they will be able to present these characters respectfully and creatively, right? It's got to be both. Don't pigeonhole them in in stereotypes. Tell their story, right? That's what I'm hopeful for for these two new characters. Uh, my concern is that they're both being introduced at the same time. I hope it doesn't feel like it's shoehorned in just to kind of cover all of its bases. But I will say in defense of Discovery, like we've said several times, it's under new ownership. It's a different show than it was in season one, and it's a different show than it was even in season two. I'm willing to give them a chance, and I I don't see why why they wouldn't learn from their mistakes. I hope so. I kind of disagree with the way that these characters were introduced in that it seemed like maybe not the best way to go about announcing it like that, but... What do you mean? Well, it's just, hey, check out what Discovery has now. We've got all this. We're being super inclusive, you know? Check out what we... You know, it just... 
it seemed like way to lead with that when maybe they could have did that a different, more respectful way, possibly. I just hope they're not trying to oversell it, and I'm glad they're doing it, but did it really have to be like that? They're walking a fine line here. And yeah. You know, like on the one hand, like I said, I've got a, there's, I've, I feel more confident just watching that panel about like, so there's good leadership, like people have a direction and are going that way. Whether there's going a good direction will, will remain to be seen, but we'll, we'll happen to find out. Remember the schedule we're on, it's season three. Star Trek series are supposed to be traditionally good towards the end of season three. So I imagine we're going to see some more groaners and eye rollers during the process. And then at the end of season three, we'll go, you know what? Okay. All right. They've got, they got, they got the groove. They got the groove. Stop excusing Star Trek. Stop excusing these these th- these these statements of of oh Star Trek always has to find its footing in three seasons. Stop! Stop it! We can't do that. We can't afford that in today's television. We just can't. Yes, we can. <sighs> yes, we can. They've made season three, so clearly they can afford it. And also, there's three other Star Trek series out right now. I don't know if you noticed, so they can afford it. They really can't afford it. I mean, literally, they can afford it. But I just. They can they can literally afford it. it it's really money is no object here. They can they can pay for this. It's okay, but and and the the shoehorn thing. Yeah, the, what makes me worried on the flip side of it is that it's like there's gonna be a twist, right? Like there's a twisty twist coming. Like and because if we told you too much about their characters, we'd reveal too much about the plot. Well, then we're not getting to know a character. We're getting to know a plot. Right. Right. And a plot device. They're going to be a device, right? Yeah, and I don't want that. If they're if they're a regular recurring character, they need to have they substance be and team. be treated respectfully. Yeah, and be part of the crew like like everybody else. This is what they're bringing to the team. They're the, you know, I mean, we just talked about Stamets. He was the mycologist, astromycologist, stuff like that. If they break the spore drive, and I really hope they do, then he'll have to be like an officer. Like he'll have to be... Maybe in the chain of command, he'll have to be the science guy. He'll have to be the guy that does particle physics and warp engineering. I don't know, whatever. So if they're going to be characters, they need to be contributing to the show and to the team, not just big twist in season or episode six, you know? Yeah, what what Ruby Mad Hatter just said. Shouldn't just be checking off a box to say, oh, hey, we included all the people just, you know, in this one episode or whatever. But, yeah, just represent fairly and and truly, and that's what we want to see. We had a very similar discussion about this when there was some talk about Kirk coming to Strange New Worlds. And there was, you know, there was like, you know, we're going to make Kirk bisexual or gay or something or whatever. I'm just like, fine, that's neat and all, but are you doing it to have a twist or are you doing it because you think that it helps the character or the plot? Or are you just doing it just to do it? That, that's, yeah, that's a concern. We're going to skip over a few panels this week and cover the new stuff coming down the pike. Ah, sorry. <laughs> We'd certainly suggest you check out everything offered on September 8th, but since our time is limited, we're going to skip ahead to the history and see what the Strange New Worlds crew had to say about the upcoming show and Star Trek's future past. Mika Burton once again moderated the panel, this time with series leads Anson Mount, Rebecca Romaine, and Ethan Peck, as well as series EPs Akiva Goldsman, Henry Alonzo Myers, and writers Akila Cooper and Davy Perez. After some really interesting and fun anecdotes about how the show came to be, series EP Henry Alonzo Meyer discussed the format of the series. One of the most exciting things about this was coming into the room and interviewing all the writers and basically saying, hey, we want to really do Star Trek. We want to do Star Trek in the classic mode, Star Trek in the way that the stories were always told. 
that it's a ship and it's traveling to strange new worlds and we're going to tell big idea science fiction adventures in an episodic mode so we have room to kind of meet new aliens see new ships visit new cultures audiences are sophisticated and so if Kirk falls in love and the love of his life dies one week the next week he's going to still feel it and that's the thing that we really wanted to kind of carry over is to bring a modern character sensibility to the kind of classic episodic storytelling do not skip watching the full panel Anson Mount recalling his conversation with an apple eating Alex Kurtzman is worth the price of admission we'll embed the video on our website so be sure to head over and check it out Jake, this goes right along with what you said, right? Episodic storytelling with a with a memory. Is that what you said? Right, right. Yep. They tried to say that, Jake, but they did not make <laughs> word good. They did not <laughs> word put together in, right. in in order sequence. I like the panel. I thought that was my probably my favorite panel. Yeah, that was one of my Oh, my gosh. It's one of my favorites, for sure. I, You kind of get, like, Kurtzman obviously is the deal maker. If he sold the show in two days, if he calls him up, is like, well, we got a show when they're still filming. They're still filming. Yeah, I mean, the story's good, but no. I'm a little, ups- little kind of sad that it wasn't more like it was because of the fans. I think they could feel the magic like we, I mean, obviously something resonated if they're like, oh, this is legit. Let's do this. I want to credit the, I'm gonna, the, you know, the original sin of the Discovery pre-production, right? Like it was a show that didn't know what it was going to do. One of the original pitches or ideas or things that came out was a, an anthology series. And I think one of the things that they thought they'd be doing is spending a year with Captain Pike. So they had all this stuff kind of on the cutting room floor and then, you know, spec scripts and writer Bibles and all this kind of stuff laying around. And when they were trying to pull the eject lever on the corner that they had painted themselves into in Discovery Season 2, because they fired the showrunners in the middle of Season 2, and I got the whole the whole vibe of Season 2 was eject, eject, eject. One of the things they were scrambling around for is like, uh, if this crashes and burns, what should we be doing? And people were thinking a Captain Pike show along, for a long time. I think, I actually think before any of this went down, this was, this was a plan, because if you remember, uh, Akiva Goldsman talked about how that's what he thought Discovery was going to be. And then they built these huge, important, these big, expensive sets, and Anson Mount wanted to send them off in a good way. Kurtzman knew he they weren't going to send them off. He was already working on getting a pilot. This thing, I think this thing was in development since they had taken over on Discovery. It's got to be in the, when they're in the middle of production season two. They were scrambling. They're like, and, and the crew, I mean, Mount clearly... The role works for him. I mean, I... There's, oh, my gosh. Oh, my God. He's amazing. Uh, and then Romain, uh, Rebecca Romain comes in and Ethan Peck goes, you know, I, I'll, I'll be convinced. I'll be convinced. I'll be convinced eventually. I, I, he, he won me over more on the panel. But when they were talking about the pre-production stuff, like making the, the series come to life, this was in the works when they were, like Jake said, building the sets. And and when the fans got a hold of it, they, green, they greenlit it at that point. It's like... It's testing well. People are responding to it. We're looking for more content on CBS All Access. We we need to fill time and fill air. Sets are built. Actors are cast. We've got a crew that knows what they're doing. Easy money. Star Trek Picard's panel was moderated by Will Wheaton, starred Sir Patrick Stewart and Jonathan Frakes, and was titled Picard and the Next Generation Panel. So if you're thinking the news might not be groundbreaking, you're probably pretty perceptive. But that's not to say Sir Patrick didn't deliver. When asked about what's to come, Stewart unleashed some pure hype. 
The first four episodes are unlike anything that I've read before for Star Trek. They're extraordinary. The complexity, the characterization is so intense. The unexpected situations. I, I can't wait to begin. Where things got interesting was the Lower Decks panel. Yes, we're halfway through the season, but that doesn't mean there isn't more story to tell. Prior to releasing the mid-season teaser, showrunner Mike McMahon spilled some Trek nuggets ripe for the dunking. So coming up in an episode, we do have John Delancey joins us and he is playing Q in a small part. The whole episode isn't about him, but it's hard to make a TNG era show and not have Q show up. So I think an eagle-eyed viewer will be able to catch his appearance. In the same episode, Kurtwood Smith plays a tough alien named Clark. I don't want to reveal too much about what he does, but Kurtwood originally played the president of the Federation in Undiscovered Country in Star Trek VI. So, you know, we try to cast some legacy Star Trek voices, not just in the roles they originally played, but in stuff they're the perfect voice for, even though it's a new role. The mid-season trailer shows the aforementioned legacy actor and offers a look at the back nine of Star Trek's newest animated offering. We'll of course have a link in our show notes, so be sure to check out both panels. All right. I, I want to take a step back here a moment and talk about Star Trek Day in general. I tweeted about this last night because at the end of the day, I felt charged. It was a feeling somewhere between being at a Star Trek convention like STLV or a local one and somewhere between that and, oh, look, the world's not going to end today. Just it, it was somewhere between those two feelings. And I think that if that's what CBS All Access was going for, then they hit the nail right on the head. This did not seem in any way, shape, or form as if though they were trying to get our money to line pockets. It was almost like a, a like a Jerry Lewis telethon, maybe. Like it just felt it felt there was a good part of it that felt wholesome. And for a moment, I felt happy with a collective, right? Like we were all just collectively happy watching these panels. Well, resistance is futile. <laughs> I yeah, the yes, the resistance for this was I was happy watching them. <laughs> but kudos to CBS All Access and the marketing team for putting this together because it did not seem like a money grab. They weren't pushing CBS All Access. Like it wasn't like subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. As a matter of fact, what they kept repeating time and again was hashtag Star Trek gives. It just felt good. I credit the hosts for that. Like Mika Burton, she was great. Will Wheaton, oh my God. I mean, what's not to love about Wesley Crusher? <laughs> Um, but they were both great, you know? I mean, they were enthusiastic and, and knew what they were talking about. They were good. I, I I really, I watched it even though I was quote, quote, working. I watched it all day. I, I credit the editors. Oh, there was good editing. There was good editing. There was. I'll tell you, I mean, there are, just, there are only a couple of places where it looked a little, like, jumpy. But what they're doing is they're editing Zoom meetings. Right, right. So, I mean, that, which is, like, mm. got to be a special circle of hell. <laughs> uh, and I think and it, it came off pretty good for for the raw material that I'm sure they had to work with. It came off pretty well. And the, the sales pitch, quote, quote, that you didn't feel and didn't hear and didn't perceive was because the assumption is, why wouldn't you be here? 
we got so much fun stuff going on. You mean you're not already here? Well, you really ought to be. And for, on the one level, we're already fans and we're already subscribed, so yeah, that's how we're feeling. But on the other hand, this is this was this was, this was more of an invitation rather than a sell. And they are telling you, look at all these great things we have coming. Look at how excited the people who are making it are to make it for you. Why don't you come join us? It, it really it, they didn't have to walk a line for this one. They were they they knew the ground they were treading and they just they just did it and it worked. I just agree 100% with what you said. It it felt refreshing. It was just a joy to kind of experience it in a way that only 2020 would allow us to because we can't get together and do things like this anymore. So this was the best way. Kind of a blessing. Right. This was the best way that they could do this. So. Yeah. You know why? Because they didn't have audience questions, which is <laughs> so awkward and weird. Right. Yeah. That yeah. maybe. Yeah. Actually, yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, when you're at a con, you're just like, oh, God, it's that don't question again. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't. Well, you know, it's it's funny you, you bring that up, too, because it didn't feel, the, the, especially the panels like Voyager, and then there was another one with uh, George Takei, and then Enterprise. It didn't feel like they were rehashing stories. And, and I mean, I, you know, people watching and, and friends of the show have been to several conventions. I've been to several of them now. And they kind of end up telling the same stories time and again whenever they get up on stage. They're performing. And they're performing, but it, this felt more intimate. It felt more personal almost. The Takei one, for sure. That was, it was amazing. Like, oh, it was really good. You know, everyone was all, oh, Shatner's not going to be involved, but eh, not that Takei was great. People have had to spend last few months learning how to stay connected like this. We have a little bit of an advantage because we do this every Tuesday night. We've been doing it for years. We doing this have kind of an advantage over them. These people are just learning, right? And so they're taking this new experience and they're kind of sharing it with everybody with the help of an excellent editing team, as I mentioned before. That, that comes through because people, this is now how they connect with their old friends now. How it, My mom, we played cards like basically in a, in a Roll20, basically a Zoom meeting thing. I think that came through with, with the panel and it worked. Jamal's point, yeah, the Enterprise panel, I... I never really seen those guys talk together. That was really... John Billingsley? Yeah, it was great. Home run. The way he ended that discussion about the how, about how he asks people, how are you going to make change? How are you going to fight for change? If you follow him on Twitter, you know, at conventions, he's a goofball. Definitely, you know, he's, he's not as straight arrow as you might think right he loves to play around but when he needs to get serious that was an excellent 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 statement that he made and to kind of highlight what tony said to their performers and they perform generally at a convention they're getting paid to be there it's a show but i feel like we're sitting in their living room having a conversation with them because we're sitting in their living room having a conversation <laughs> with or their bedroom sometimes <laughs> right, depending right. on who yeah yeah right. Yeah. Part of the game right. is figuring out what's on their walls and, and who has what behind them. That's, <laughs> yeah. I love that game. Who yeah. was it that pointed out Mika Burton, the background color was very nice? And she's like, well, that was my parents. <laughs> <laughs> they painted the wall that color. <laughs> Kat, to second your, your comment, Mika Burton did a phenomenal job. First of all, I didn't know that she was in the public spotlight as a cosplayer uh, and doing her own thing. I had no idea. But... She, I mean, we've had some hosts in the past, you know, doing Star Trek, official Star Trek after shows and things like that, that just didn't have it, did not have it. But Mika Burton, you could tell she was a little nervous. You know, she was obviously reading from a script. She wasn't looking straight onto the camera. But my goodness, she was just, she was just, her chemistry with everybody was amazing. 
just. But she probably knew half of them because her dad. That's true. That might be true. <laughs> that might that might also be true. Absolutely. No, she seemed a little nervous, but she got real comfortable. She was eloquent. She was. And he, this was. This wow. is an experiment, right? This is the first time people have sort of maybe done this on, on the scale that this was done. She just did some polishing, and she just this could be her career. I mean, oh, yeah. yes, she just needs to knock off a couple of rough edges, and and this she could do this. Yeah, I I hope that they bring her back for more things. I really do hope that they bring her back for more things. Oh yeah, and Will Wheaton announced he's going to do the Ready Room now uh, after all the Discovery season three and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. He's a veteran, and he's been around the conventions and around these people. They're comfortable with him almost instantly, so that's a, that's a no-brainer, too. Oh, and how emotional was his panel with, with Sir Patrick? Yeah, oh, my God, that was so touching. God, it was so good. Um, you know, we're, I'm keeping an eye on the chat, and, and people are pointing out some of the obvious absences, particularly from the J.J. Abrams-Kelvin timeline, right? We didn't see anybody or hear from anybody from that universe. Were, were they missing? Did, did someone miss them? I wouldn't say I'm missing them, Bob. Mm, CBS <laughs> All Access. But I, I do want to point something out, something that I did walk away with after this day of events. Every panel, except for Lower Decks, oh. talked about the importance of Star Trek and its place in science fiction literature and, and film as a mirror to what is happening around us in the real world. We gonna fight. Everybody, everybody focused on that, focused on what's happening sociopolitically right now in the United States and around the world, about health. Every single panel, except for Lower Decks. Lower Decks was just, ha 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 We gonna fight. Right? But I also, also... Paid real close attention to Rod Roddenberry because Will Wheaton asked him ultimately the following. I'll just play the clip. I have always felt that you have incredible respect and care for the legacy of Star Trek and specifically the Roddenberry vision that powers and drives Star Trek. And I would love for you to talk about how that expresses itself in your life now with productions uh, that, that are currently uh, in pre-production and, that, and that, are, that are being filmed. Yeah, no, um, I, I appreciate you putting it that way. Uh, absolutely. Um, you know, what I've learned over the many years is there are many versions of Star Trek. They're all Star Trek, but there's many ways of, of looking at it. And um, I would consider myself one of the more uh, hardcore uh, Star Trek fans when it comes to the philosophy. Um, you know, I enjoy the philosophy in Star Trek more than I enjoy the science fiction because I've heard these stories my whole life of fans coming up to me and, and saying how their life has been impacted, as, as both of you have. So I want every Star Trek, all future Star Treks, to impact people in this way. And so I'm, I'm very proud that I think Star Trek in many ways is still carrying that on. But I'm, I'm very proud. I, if Star Trek isn't making you think, at least consider a different point of view, I'm happy to say it's not Star Trek then. Star Trek should at the very least get you to look at something in a way you haven't before. The very least. If you think it's just entertaining, I'm happy for you, but then something's amiss. The one sentence he says is, if Star Trek isn't making you think or consider a different perspective, then it's not Star Trek. And look, I do my very best to avoid the whole thing about, oh, this is Star Trek, this isn't Star Trek. I'm going to, first of all, he's the son of Gene Roddenberry. If anybody's gonna have the authority to say something is Trek or isn't Trek, I would think that it would be 
Rod Roddenberry, right? But let's just put that aside. I think that what he says not only applies to Star Trek, but applies to science fiction in general. The best science fiction has always been a allegory and a tool to educate through entertainment. This goes back to theater, theater of education, theater, theater, to, theater to teach, right? Th that is the tool that Star Trek has been for a long time. But anyway, I, the point is, is that this is where I think personally, and we'll get to that as later, where I think a show like Lower Decks fails and where I hope and where Discovery has failed in the past and hopefully in season three will move us back towards helping us to think differently. Because I didn't think differently in season one and two of Discovery. Maybe a few of those scenes with uh, Anson Mount. Some of those scenes and, and moments that he had about down on um, New Eden. Yeah, that was a great episode for that. Right? Anson Mount was that sh that hope, right, of, of what we've been talking about. But I haven't found that in Lower Decks. You're not gonna. It's not there for that. Star Trek is all those things that Rod said and what you're saying. It's 100% all those things. But you know what also Star Trek is? It's people. And people who take themselves far too seriously wind up taking themselves far too seriously. The job of Lower Decks is not to hold a mirror up to Earth now in the 21st century. Like a lot of the other panels said, I feel Star Trek holds up a mirror, all that kind of stuff. That's not Lower Decks' job. Lower Decks' job is to hold a mirror up to Star Trek. And it does that, and it does it extraordinarily well. And Rod's name is on Lower Decks. He approves. It's okay with him. And it's there. And that this, the Lower Decks panel was my second favorite panel. And Tony Newsom is my new best friend. Yeah, Tony Newsom is fantastic. Which, if she can throw off L cars in a conversation like she's just talking, <laughs> she's my new best friend. Well, I think yep. we should save the Lower Decks conversation for on screen coming up just after we cover Star Trek gaming news. Welcome aboard, Captain. High score. And this week in gaming news. Well, Captains, as we mentioned all throughout Star Trek Day on Tuesday, September 8th, one of the highlights was that CBS was donating $1 for every person that tweeted hashtag Star Trek United Gives. Now, whether or not it was an oversight or something they actively failed to promote, Star Trek Online certainly did share panels. But there was no mention about Star Trek United Gives, which is incredibly disappointing. As a result, we're still not going to cover Star Trek Online, or the Inquiry, and whether or not it's character-bound, or why on God's green earth it's in an R&D pack and not something that you can buy on the Sea Store. But we'd love to talk about all of those things. Unfortunately, supporting a movement like social equality, social justice, is just far too important to let slip under the table. So, let's move on to other gaming news. Consider the following scenario. You have a successful Star Trek themed mobile game set entirely in the Kelvin timeline. You want to add content from Discovery, whose third season starts this October, but your game is Kelvin timeline only. And to not be Kelvin timeline only, you have to add that content from Discovery. That, Captains, is called a Patch 22. Now, we know 2020 has been a bit much. Believe it or not, it's only been two weeks since Viacom CBS gave Fleet Command developer Scopely free reign of the franchise's TV and film content, and we weren't expecting anything to follow so soon. Surprise! 
Fleet Command Patch 22, which Scopely announced on September 8th, will begin the game's first prime timeline story arc in the era of Discovery. Michael Burnham, Stamets, Saru, and the NCC-1031 itself join Fleet Command's playable roster, with new random anomalies and story missions available through a disco-specific battle pass. The patch will also improve the user interface for battle report storage and guarantees an exchange armada spawn rate in all exchange systems. And that brings us to our next community question. If you're not currently playing Fleet Command, does the new Prime Timeline content make you more likely to pick it up? Remember, let us know in the comments section for this episode at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Or if you aren't already, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and wherever you get your social media news, because that's where we post these questions. Fleet Command isn't the only Trek game getting in on the Star Trek Day festivities. Until September 15th, Star Trek Timelines is bringing back player favorite temporary achievements for increased grind rewards. However, these achievements now have tiers, so the more tasks you complete, the more dilithium and premiums you earn. The Timelines team also put together a special version of their bi-weekly in-game care package and took the time to share their thoughts on what working with the Star Trek property means to them. For Timelines communications lead Shan, quote, Star Trek represents hope, hope for a better world, a better future, one we can all have a hand in creating, end quote. Well, that's all we have to cover this week in Star Trek Gaming. Now, let's look on screen for the fifth episode of Lower Decks. On screen. Computer. Set Lower Decks, Episode 5, Cupid's Errant Arrow. On screen. This week, Boimler wants to prove his girlfriend is real while Mariner isn't having it. Tendi and Rutherford work hard for the new Casio T88 algorithmic calculator. I mean, Scanner, all while the Cerritos tries to negotiate how to save a planet. All right, Captains, let's go through the statistics. This episode was written by Ben Joseph, directed by Kim Arndt, and premiered September 3rd, 2020 in the United States. There's no point in trying to list all of the Easter eggs because let's face it, Lower Decks is nothing but Easter eggs. Kat, why don't you tell us what your favorite scenes or moments were? All right, favorite scene absolutely is the flashback with Mariner and her awesome hair and what happened to her bestie. On Deep Space Nine. On Deep Space Nine, I know. uh, Yeah, that was great because you could see Deep Space Nine in the background. And I do love Rutherford and Tendi and the T-88s was... (laughs) It's really funny. So, all right, what about your least favorite moments? Uh, yeah, I didn't enjoy the pantsing of the girlfriend because obviously she didn't have a tail because she had pants on. Yeah, I didn't enjoy that. I, I thought that was just a bit much. I mean, they were already taking it a little past the okay point, but yeah. Overall, for the fifth episode, how does it stack up to the rest, and what's your star rating, one to five? You know, if I was going to rate this one, I'd call it, you know, a good four liked it. I I thought it was good. You know, a takeaway to go with is, you know, if it's too good to be true, there's a parasite involved. Words to live by. Tendi and Rutherford, for me, are the redeeming qualities of this show. Uh, I like their enthusiasm and their excitement, their innocent feelings about being in Starfleet and aboard the Cerritos, and even in some of the absurd moments like Tendi slapping the the officer aboard the Vancouver because she thinks she's dreaming, she slaps him. I thought, you know, it got a chuckle out of me. So I, yeah, I like that. Um, other than that, I don't, it's still, this show's still not doing it for me. It's funny because Tawny Newsom is funny. Right, she she is doing well 
with what she's being given. And she's going even above and beyond. That that one cutscene where she's like, get out of the way, Jennifer. Supposedly that was uh, ad-lib, right? Which is funny and hilarious, and she does really well with the role. Their voices, their voice acting for this is is really good, right? You can hear the chemistry between them, even though they're not even in the same studio. They're all recording in their own closets because of COVID, right? But like the whole the whole Boimler being jealous about the coworker, I mean, I literally just saw that in an episode of Dick Van Dyke. That's how old that joke is. What you're saying is it's a timeless theme that uh, that generations of people can relate to over and over. Is it no timeless? Is it a timeless theme? <laughs> is it is it something we love revisiting? Jealousy in an office comedy. It's uh, it's timeless. I it's well always I there. I just I this week especially I started rewatching the Orville because as absurd as the Orville can get, it knows how to deliver an undertone of thought, right? An undertone of making you think while still being stupid funny and toilet humor funny. It's literally the flip side, the negative of Lower Decks. It, I mean, that's literally, they literally are the two sides of the same coin. It's, it's, and they've just, they've approached the problem just in a slightly different way. How do you hold a mirror up to the Star Trek universe and occasionally point out how silly pieces of it is. I am a-okay with making fun of Star Trek. That's actually the redeeming quality of this of this series is that it can make jokes about the planet where you can't play ball on grass, right? Like, it, those are funny. Those are really funny moments. I don't know why we have to sacrifice thought for that. Jake, what did you think of the episode? I think I would rate it like a three and a half, a three, three and a half. It was fun. It was funny. I loved the flashback to DS9. And, and it, it's most people really love that scene, but it's kind of a morbid scene. There's really nothing funny in that scene. Which scene? Where the guy gets his face torn off or whatever, yeah. <laughs> he gets his face torn and then he eats his girl and, you know, she's got blood all over. It's a mess. It's a hot mess, but it's it's just a fun scene. I do like it gives Mariner some background, you know, as to why she's being so crazy, you know. I want there to be more flashbacks like that. I know. When she said, I've seen some stuff. Right. I want some family guy cut flashbacks, right? I mean, that's what I want. I mean, oh, yeah, I remember that happening. And then you flashback to the, that thing. I mean, yeah, that, that make that part of the formula. The formula needs to be cold open, credits, a plot with pairing off one lower decks person with one upper deck, you know, uh, one bridge one bridge officer. Then the B plot with, you know, some of the other gang thrown together like that. There needs to be a Mariner flashback of, you know, the time when that happened, uh, you know, when that, because that always does happen. There needs to be a back on the keto moment. But I feel like they're approaching that groove, though. I imagine, like, around season, hopefully, fingers crossed, around episode six or seven, we're going to see that formula sort of born out. So I think the thing I, I enjoyed least about it was the uh, Tendi and Rutherford stuff. And it wasn't... I, I actually really liked the officer. I thought he was hilarious. Like, what did he say? Uh, you don't know what it's like here. It's so stressful. It's so epic. I don't want to be epic anymore. <laughs> yeah. He was great, but I thought that Tenny and Rutherford were just kind of um, devices in the, in the whole uh, show, which is kind of a bummer because those are two of the best characters. So, Tony, what was your favorite scene and then your least favorite scene? Uh, I didn't. I don't know if I had a favorite scene. I mean, I got I got a lot of little laughs throughout the whole thing. I found the whole thing amusing. I, I did roll my eyes a little bit at the uh, when Boimler, when uh, Mariner walks in on Boimler naked in the chair. Like, Boimler would ever 
do that on duty. Like, never. But it was the parasite, though. Uh, well, that could be the parasite, Maybe right? it's the parasite. I, maybe that's the parasite, though. I doubt it was the parasite, because he... Well, but I thought the parasite <laughs> just made other people like him. Like, he didn't know, right? He wasn't He wasn't doing anything different from, from what the Boimler usually does. I mean, he is a young man. I mean... A hot beer. I mean, cold. Cold beer. <laughs> Look, it's got these moments that I did laugh. Like I, I laughed when Boimler shows up at at the, on the shuttle and he stumbles and he's like, ah oh, oh. "You're not sex." I heard sex. And you know, Allie and I now walk around the house going, "Lover, lover, 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 lover," because of that little stupid parasite. But thing, you right? resent it. You don't want but to I like it. it. Oh my God! Oh, oh, stop! God. Don't! Lover! I absolutely resent it. Like, that's the thing. I don't like The Office. Then this show is never going to land for you. It's not. It's not going to land for me, and that's okay. Well, that wraps up episode 477 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. But there are more great shows available to you on the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Just visit podcasts.roddenberry.com for a complete list. Then be sure to subscribe to them all and share them with your friends. And we can't forget to send a special thanks to some of our Patreon supporters like David K. Rutley and Peter Archibald. And a shout out to George, who became a patron. Can you believe that? <gasps> thanks, George. After coming thanks, on the George. show, after sharing his story, he decided to be a patron. Now he's in our Discord channel. And I mean, what a great guy. I mean, seriously. George, send me a friend request in game. We'll play TFOs. And here's a reminder of our community question for this week. How did you celebrate the first official Star Trek Day? And, if you're not currently playing Fleet Command, does the new Prime Timeline content make you more likely to pick it up? Captains, it's important to us that you get your voice heard and that you participate in the conversation. Leave us a comment on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com, on our Facebook page at Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast, or find us on Twitter and Instagram at PriorityOnePod. If you're still craving more, be sure to spend time with Winters, Anthony, me, plus the rest of the Priority One Armada. Saturday nights, the Armada broadcasts live to review the latest news from Star Trek Online and the Armada community, including spotlighting some of our amazing members. With regular giveaways, there's something for all Stowe players, whether you're new or a veteran. So follow us on all our social media accounts for broadcast times. And if you'd like to join the Armada, visit PriorityOneArmada.com. This episode of Priority One is brought to you by our patrons through Patreon.com. Captains, during these difficult times, we understand that uh, it can be hard to find the extra cash to support artists and producers like us. So if you cannot... Don't forget that we are always looking for volunteers, whether it's audio editing, video editing, helping us with our social media, helping put together the show. We're always looking for people to contribute. Think of it like community theater. If those of you who may be familiar with that format of entertainment. Community theater is really not for profit, right? Nobody makes money putting on a show in most community theaters throughout the United States. We do it because it's a labor of love. So if you want to join the team because you're as passionate as we are about Star Trek, 
then reach out to us incoming at priorityonepodcast.com or just find us on social media and uh, reach out to us. Don't forget to tune in to Priority One Productions Guard Frequency Podcast at guardfrequency.com. Each episode, the guard will take you inside the universe of your favorite space sims, including a tabletop adventure played out by your hosts. And Heroes Rise brings you up to date with the world of Dungeons and Dragons. Learn all about the latest publications, tools, tips, tricks, and traps in less time than it takes to skin a live urn. Head over to heroesrisepodcast.com to discover their secrets. Thanks to our audio editors, including Gray, Brandon, William, Rand, Daniel, Roscoe, and Skiffy. Thanks to our producer, Jake Morgan, and associate producers, Shane Hoover and Thomas of the Priority One Armada. Together, they help us organize and write up our summary of the weekly headlines from the Star Trek multiverse. And Jake, thanks for being our fourth voice this week. It's always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks to our social media manager, Anthony Cox. Thanks to our graphic artist, Henry Pomper, with support from Jason Smith of the Priority One Armada. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, our listeners. Because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Shields up. Engage. Engage. Skiffy, uh, Skiffy. Jay, can you read Skiffy's part about um, we're also looking for volunteers? Or you could like sure. let Cat say her bit. <laughs> oh, uh, my bad, my bad. I'm not, I'm not looking I've at the. I've done document. that too. It's okay. <laughs> and Skiffy did it the other day too. <laughs> I'm like the middle child, man. <laughs> <laughs> the team also discussed why the Federation. Wait, wait. Oh, you, oh you're gonna play the clip. Oh, you're, oh, you're gonna play the clip. Oh. Skiffy showed you the oh. trick. <laughs> I showed Skiffy the trick. So we're gonna hear it. Oh, you're not gonna hear it, but oh. the, the so no, no Skiffy did Skiffy not. Skiffy made shoot. it. We can hear. Yeah, it. when yeah. Skiffy does it, we can hear it too. I don't when Skiffy people. does it, he does it better. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! If you didn't get your weekly dose of abuse here, where would you get it? <laughs> All right, I'm gonna play the I'm gonna play the clip now. Okay. With the Lower Decks people, they're like, yeah, we love you, but hey, hey, you know what? You're silly, and we're going to show you exactly how silly you are sometimes, okay? We love you. We love you, buddy. It's like what we do to you, Elio, every week. <laughs> then how are you surprised that I hate the show? <laughs> <laughs> Touche. Podcast.roddenberry.com. The Roddenberry Podcast Network.